Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Oh, it's nice to see some friends visiting. That's really lovely. Um, I'm just back from Albania, and uh, I want to share a little bit of my time there and encourage us some. Um, but I first just want to start by, um, Katie, have you led worship before? Like, that was phenomenal this morning. And, and Brother Caleb, hearing you sing this morning, beautiful. Uh, Jake, thanks. And um, what people might not be aware is um, the incredible effort that Brad goes to each week to pour into these young leaders' lives, the way he loves them, the way he uh, takes time out, that he's not paid. This is, uh, he finishes a work day and then rocks up on a Wednesday and then is here early on a Sunday. And I just want to thank you for your ministry here, mate. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. We're starting a new series, and as we go to our slides, the series is called Kingdom Revolution, and what we'll be looking at is how Jesus brings a revolution in how we understand revolution, but before we do, I want to go to our second slide. This has got nothing to do with my message, I just thought this was fantastic. This is, um, <laughs> this is a, a street sign from Tirana, the capital of Albania, and the street sign shows uh, that this bridge that you can see down in the corner, people... Uh, like to stop by the bridge because there's no public facilities to otherwise relieve themselves. So instead of putting in public facilities, they instead put in cameras. And uh, this, this sign, which I think is the greatest street sign I've ever seen in my life, if you can't read it from where you're sitting, um, it, it clearly has uh, somebody uh, urinating with a camera on them. But, but if you pay attention to the box next to it, it actually says YouTube in the corner. <laughs> and. Um, I mean, you don't need to have the gift of interpretation like JC this morning to understand that what this sign is saying is that if you pee underneath the bridge, you can expect to see yourself on YouTube. <laughs> As I said, that's got nothing to do with this morning's message, but I found it funny. Uh, the next slide does, though. Some of you might have also seen this um, pop up on Instagram. And as I was praying about this series that we're about to start, um, I had a sense that this experience and this story that I'm about to tell was actually, it's a, it's a paradigm for what God is doing in us as a people. And uh, for, for those who haven't heard the story, I was preaching at an Assemblies of God church in Tirana uh, last weekend. And I finished preaching, and this is a passage that I was preaching on, and it wasn't really appropriate to pull out a camera uh, during the service, partly because how the Holy Spirit moved us afterwards but one of the senior pastors afterwards um, sat down and started wailing not not crying um, not even sobbing uh, this wasn't like a polite uh, you know there's a sweet spirit in this place and somebody passed me a tissue um, this leader curled over upon herself just started wailing in ways that I was actually feeling embarrassed. The, the church meeting was uh, meeting in a hotel and I was thinking, oh my goodness, like uh, what are the staff going to think and hear with, with this going on? Because I'm not a very good Christian. Um, and somebody came up to me and said, um, and interpreted for me because I don't speak any Albanian, and said, uh, the pastor is saying, Jesus forgive me, I've never loved prostitutes, I've only judged them. I've never loved prostitutes, I've never served them. Over and over and over again. And there was just this spirit of repentance that fell on the place. 
this huge sense that like there is so much more for us and yet we've settled for religious games and I feel that there's some people who are in here this morning who haven't been in church for a long time and the reason you left wasn't out of a love of lack of love for Jesus but it was out of a lack of love that you experienced and there was a judgment that you experienced and I want to tell you my testimony of being part of this community which hasn't been for long that these people love well and these people are humble and these people welcome sinners like me so if you are here this morning and you haven't been in church for a while because of the judgment you've experienced from God's people I want to say to you this morning I'm sorry as a church leader I'm sorry and I ask for your forgiveness and I ask this morning that you would trust again to allow broken people like you to show you God's love and as we start this kingdom revolution it's the paradigm that I actually want to invite us into is that what we're being invited into in this is the gift of repentance to realize there are depths of love that we have yet to encounter, that our own spiritual highlights don't belong in our past, that they're actually opening up to us in our future, including in this moment right now, that you've had experiences of God in the past and you're like, this is the, the most amazing experience of God and it was when I was 18 or it was eight years ago at that camp or it was when the smoke machine and the lights and there was a big band and all the rest. And I want to welcome you into the reality that the resurrected one is here this morning that the kingdom impinges on this moment. And yes, it's true that principalities and powers are seeking to distract us and get in the way of that sweet spirit moving in us and in this place. But we can surrender ourselves in this moment so that Jesus can have his will be done in this place. And so I'm going to read the passage that we're going to open up this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as we do that. And I'm going to pray and and pray that those principalities and powers will move out of the way, not just in the world, but in us. That that humility, that grace, that mercy, that kindness of God will be able to penetrate us in such ways that we will realize the love that we're made for, the love that the world is destined for, the love that is revealed in Jesus, and the love that raised Jesus from the grave who's moving in this place now, and that spirit longs to fill us. So church, I invite you to stand. And we're, uh, those that are able, we're going to move to our next slide and here's a passage for this morning. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you know, do you ask this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priest has handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom was from this world, my followers would violently fight to keep me from being handed over to the Judeans. But it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you're saying you're a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? 
After he'd said this, he went out to the Judeans and again told them, I find no case against him, but you have this custom that I release somebody at this Passover of yours. Do you want me to release this so-called king of the Jews? And they shouted in reply, no, not that man. We want Barabbas. And now Barabbas was a violent insurrectionist. Lord, we ask that you would add to the reading of your word, your living word, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would take what is here, that you would hide me behind your empty cross, and that your Holy Spirit would move in us in such a way that we would see you, Jesus, and know that God is love, that the destiny you have for us is love, and that love has conquered the grave. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you, have your way in this place. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here in us on earth as it is in your very presence. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. So if you are new to church, you might not realize that this is a crucial moment that we have pressed pause on in the life and the story of God's people and redemption. Jesus is just about to be crucified. And Pontius Pilate, you might not be aware, but the Roman emperor, which was the biggest empire of the day, it didn't care much for little empires and little people and their beliefs. They didn't have a problem with you having any number of gods as long as that you knew at the end of the day, Caesar is the son of God, Caesar is divine, Caesar is God of God, Caesar is the world's true king, and Caesar literally meant king, emperor, the one who reigns. And so here's Pilate, who is sent at this time of year because this little people who he doesn't have much interest in other than his job is to make sure there aren't insurrections and revolutions. And these people, they have these weird beliefs that apparently not just their tribal God, but the God of all creation, the God that is above everything else, that apparently this God hears the cries of the oppressed. (laughs) Ridiculous. Romans know that the Roman gods, providence is one of the gods, and providence always hands victory to whoever wins. That's how you know whose side the gods are on. Who won? Guess what? The gods are on your side. And so these people have been conquered by the Syrians, uh, by the Assyrians, uh, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, and now by the Greeks and then the Romans. And here we have a situation where the Roman representative is gone to this little place because they have this festival of Passover where they believe that their God, who hears the cries of the oppressed, is going to move again. And so they gather with a meal, like we will gather for a meal, to celebrate liberation as we will celebrate liberation, to bring that history into the present as we will gather around the table and share communion and bring God's history into this present. And they proclaimed and announce that there is a day coming where this oppression will be no more and they drag that into the present just as we will do as we gather around the table and share in communion. And here we have this situation where in the Roman courts, the house of power, here you have a representative of the most powerful person in the world standing before some guy with a few followers and they've all nicked off. And so when Pilate says, so you're a king, You might not hear the sarcasm, but it's there and it is thick. He's like, what kind of king? Because revolutions work only one way. Kingdoms work only one way. If you want to overthrow an empire, how do you do it? 
pull in your sword out of its sheath, or as we might say today, through the barrel of a gun. And so Pilate is having this interaction with this so-called king, and he's like, even your own people handed you over to me. And why did they hand him over? Why is he such a disappointment? Why is Jesus an utter disappointment to these oppressed people? What are they longing for? A kingdom. And how do kingdoms come? Through power, through revolution. This is how kingdoms come. You know what truth is when Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth to Pilate is power. Not the power we see on the cross. You have to see through resurrection eyes to see that the cross is real power, to see that love is real power. It's just power over. It's just might makes right. It's like I will bully you into a situation where you have to bow a knee and I win. And so here's this king who comes with no followers and Pilate asks him, so you're a king. And Jesus says, is this your idea or somebody told you about me? And he's like, am I a Jew? Do I belong to this little tribal people that, like, you're this small area in the Roman Empire. This isn't my deal. This is just my outpost. I've just been placed here. And look, it's a pretty good kind of job. I get to be by the seaside in Caesarea and uh, come down around Passover to Jerusalem and make sure that there are no revolutions, much like somebody else who's named in this story. What other revolutionary is named in this story? Barabbas. And those who know their scriptures know that in Matthew's Gospel, Barabbas is actually referred to in early transcripts as Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, son of Abbas. Abbas actually means Abba. It's how a little kid would say, Father. So here we have two different sons of the father. And which one do the people want? They both think they're failed revolutionaries. But one, at least he had the courage to take up the sword. One, at least he didn't sell out the whole revolution. One, at least he, like, we want the one who we know at least gave it a red-hot go. Because this guy, start of the week was awesome. We saw him at the start of the week turn over tables in the middle of the temple, naming all the oppression and injustice that is going on, showing the religious systems that actually worship the God who hears the cries of the oppressed but yet participate in oppression, exposes that for all it is, but ends his week by washing feet instead of taking up a sword? What kind of revolution is this? What kind of hope is this? This is ridiculous. This is a waste of time. Who do we want? Barabbas. And now we're starting to get a sense of this revolution and a very different revolution that we're invited into. As we go to our next slide. I know many theologians. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of time and spoken in a number of different places around the world with N.T. Wright, who's one of my biggest uh, influences. Um, Walter Brueggemann, I got to spend a couple of days with him. I have a, a friend here this morning, and we have a friend in common who's a theologian named Bob Ekblad. Um, uh, Ched Myers is a, is a close personal friend, have stayed in his house and Elaine's house several times. Uh, I know some heavy hitters when it comes to theology, and I want to quote a, theolo a theologian this morning that you might not be familiar with. Her name is Gracie, and Gracie is sitting on the front row here and uh, she plays some pretty mean basketball, and she is brilliant because what Gracie names for us in Jesus' response is what a lot of theologians actually miss for a complex number of reasons, 
to do with we really don't want to repent. So Jesus' response to Pilate is, my kingdom is not of this world, the NIV will translate it, or the NRSV will say, from this world. But most of us, we hear that and we hear not in this world. In fact, some of us have kids' Bibles that we read to our little ones, which will literally say the kingdom is not in this world. Anybody heard that before? And a lot of people think, well, Jesus isn't saying his kingdom's on the wo- of this world. It is merely spiritual. And so it doesn't really relate to anything to do other than my soul. And so when Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, my f- followers would violently fight, it must be because, oh, well, it's not really worth fighting for. Peter, just a chapter earlier, he was wrong when he had a piece and pulled out a sword and, like, no, you missed it. It's spiritual, Peter. It's not got anything to do with the real world. If that was the case, Pilate wouldn't have a problem. Gracie, uh, Reverend Dr. Gracie, the, that's uh, not things that she's received yet, but you watch, it's coming. The world isn't like how Jesus wants the world to be. So, of course, his kingdom is not from this world. that's good that's great theology because the kingdom is hope for this world the destination of the kingdom is here for this world Jesus doesn't just love your soul Jesus wants to save us as a whole it's not merely about a salvation for our ego but actually ecosystems this is good news to all of creation. This is good news to the whole world. But we don't hear it like Gracie. We want an easier message where, Jesus, just give me a little bit of spirituality and so we can keep the world going the way it is and then hopefully avoid it and hopefully in the same way, look, Jesus, drugs are expensive, so I'm just going to use your gospel to drop out and avoid and escape. Jesus, uh, what it asks of me, if this is really a hope that's for this world, not the hope of going from this world. If this is hope for creation, salvation of creation, not salvation from creation, well then we've got to turn this whole kingdom revolution upside down. It's a revolution in how we understand revolutions. It's not revolutionary in that it's not an actual real world hope. It is a real world hope. Otherwise Jesus wouldn't have bothered raising from the grave. The center of the Christian gospel is the cross and resurrection, which says the cross is God's how, how this revolution is coming, how the kingdom is coming. The kingdom, which everybody likes to believe in a utopia. Everybody wants a big answer of how the world's going. And Karl Marx said that the apostles, they failed to bring the kingdom of God because they failed to bring it by force. No, Papa Marx, you missed it. The only way the kingdom comes is by rejecting force and it comes through suffering love of the cross. And the implications for us who are going to take part in this revolution is actually to go, okay, I'm not going to fight to defend. Instead, I'm going to lay down my life like Christ has laid down his. But we often get told that A, this is about an otherworldly thing, or B, this is about religion. Even though Jesus undoes all scapegoating and all sacrifice, we will deliberately translate often, and maybe your translation of John 18, it says, to um, be handed over to the who? Jews. 
Because you know what's real easy? If we just can say that there's a them that's the problem. And we forget that our Lord is Jewish. According to Matthew's Gospel, he's a Jewish man, Middle Eastern man, with African people in his family tree, but somehow we end up thinking that Jesus looks something like me. Maybe that's because it's a lot less challenging than the fact that Matthew 2, 14, makes it very clear that our Lord is a refugee to Egypt before coming back. And we're like, oh, that's a bit awkward because I don't know how to relate to that story. That story isn't like me. Yes, and that's why Christianity revise, requires conversion and repentance. But this Jesus and what he calls to is a kingdom that is for this world but it's not like this world and if we can say oh it's the Jews and handing over to the Jews instead of the Judeans this political group which is calling for revolution they're like well guess what I'm not them I'm okay and you're like oh Jared thank God we never have those dynamics in the church today thank God the church would never waste time and money and energy finding a them to make ourselves feel righteous against Thankfully, people aren't spending all their Facebook posts creating them and us's in ways that alienate, in ways that scapegoat, in ways that tell people that you're not as worthy. Here's a really interesting thing. I have lots of pagan mates from school, I went to Hale, who do all kinds of crazy stuff and we let them get married. Not Christian though. If I told you some of the stories that my mates from high school, these fellas, what they get up to, my goodness. And yet we don't make special rules for them. Imagine, I don't know, in 1930, for example, and I'm not saying that 1930 Germany is like Australia in 2017. Not at all. Not at all. That's a ridiculous parallel. What I am saying is there are dynamics in the church that we need to pay attention to because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers of this dark age and the kind of distraction that is happening from being a kingdom people and joining a kingdom revolution where we respond from humility is that we create a scapegoat and go, they're the problem. And if we just got rid of them, then... And you're like, oh, I've seen that theology before. Where? Um, um, That's right, the Pharisees. That's the spirit of Pharisaicalism. That's how the Pharisees work. One of the reasons why the church in Germany, Catholic and Protestant, liberal and evangelical, was so quick to jump on board the Nazis' agenda is because the Nazis said, and it was true, Germany had the most liberal sexual practices of all of Europe, and we're going to restore the pride of Germany, and we're going to put the church back in the centre of our nation again. The Nazis appealed to the church and said, the church is no longer centre in our nation and we need a righteous purification of our nation to stop this sexual immorality and return us to German family values. That's pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? And Christian pacifists and gypsies and six million Jews and gay and lesbian people went to the gas chambers for this agenda of purification, for this agenda of we are going to do and build a kingdom. How? Just like the world. In a way that's just like the world. 
uncomfortable, isn't it? As we go to our next slide. Let me break down just a little bit in one ugly slide what the world needs good news for. According to the World Health Organization, the two biggest issues in the world, in the developing world and in the so-called first world, have got to do with food. Anybody want to name what those two issues are? Famine and obesity. Isn't that fascinating? If only the world was created in such a way where there was enough for everybody's need, but not everybody's greed. There is. And we need a gospel that is about the generous, voluntary redistribution of wealth. If only Jesus came with a message of, I don't know, Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh my goodness, he did. Hmm, awkward. But we can avoid it if his kingdom isn't in this world. If his kingdom's not in this world, we don't need to listen to that kind of stuff. Jared, are you going lax on morality? Are you saying that, like, this stuff doesn't matter? No, no, no. I'm trying to not let us miss the kingdom revolution movement because we get caught up in us-them morality games, this superior we're-better-than-thou morality games, this inside-out kind of games, instead of repenting and following Jesus. 740 million people go to bed hungry today. A child dies every seven seconds. And while it's wonderful and we praise God for a sister who got a report back that the cancer had gone, we live in a world where sin and death still seem to reign and desperately there is needed a people who live a kingdom revolution to show the world that love is victorious, that there is a better way. A people that could say, and now I will show you the most excellent way with the way that they live. A people that realise the incarnation isn't just something that happened in Jesus' own life and ended at the ascension, but the incarnation continues because God has always been looking for a people. God was looking for a people when he chose Abraham and Sarah. God was looking for a people when he spoke at Sinai. God is looking for a people where he chose not the courts of power, not the biggest empires of the world. The reason why Pilate thinks that these Jewish people are ridiculous is because you little persecuted, oppressed people, you believe that God hears the cries of the oppressed? Maybe one God, not very powerful. What, there is only one God, the creator of all things, and that God hears the cries of the oppressed? Ridiculous. But if we translate it Jews, well, suddenly we're talking about religion, and becoming a Christian is begetting a new religion. Jesus came to found a new religion. No, he didn't. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus died a Jew. All the apostles were Jewish. Paul, what Paul does with this movement, isn't less Jewish. It is thoroughly Jewish. It's just that the Jewish hope is opened up to all of humanity. Can you hear the difference? See, the Jewish hope wasn't to go to heaven when you die, to sit with fat babies on clouds with little wings and be a disembodied spirit because I'd lived a moral life, that I'd ticked all these different rules. Instead, it was the hope that God's very presence would flood the earth like the waters cover the seas, that heaven and earth would be one, that God would be all in all, that, in fact, holiness isn't about exclusion, but it's about the passionate fire of mercy, which leaves morality games behind because you meet the kind of people and you're like, I don't know what is different about you because I know you're just as broken as me. I know you're just as problematic as me. I know you've had the same problems with me. But there is a mercy that burns in your life that I hope looks like the world to come. 
And our answer when people say, why do you love like this? Why do you spend your day with refugees? Why do you spend your day working with kids at Alter One? Why has there been transformation in your own life? Why are you investing your time with the homeless? That person, they're back on that stuff yet again, and yet you're still there at 2 o'clock in the morning helping them as their head is in the toilet. Why do you love like this? Why do you love like this? Why such suffering love in your own life? Well, my kingdom is not from this world. If it was, my followers would violently fight from keeping me from being arrested. Why do you love like this? Because Jesus is resurrected. Why we love like this is that this isn't about a new religion. This is about the kingdom revolution then that it started. And just like Abraham, it doesn't start from top down. God chooses from below and works from below. And this is central. We, we have this situation here, this incredible situation where you have the most powerful person in that part of the globe asking Jesus, what is truth? And the Christian confession is that truth is not a set of propositions. Truth isn't something that you can measure in a, with a thermometer or in a test tube or a pattern in a mathematical answer. Truth instead is an embodied reality. See, God doesn't stand at afar and just tell truth. The incarnation is God comes and bees amongst us. And the incarnation didn't start with Jesus. It actually started with God's presence. And any Pentecostal knows the word Shekinah and knows the references where that. It starts back there, but in Jesus we see it fully. This is what God's presence is like. This is not just the name of truth. This is the nature of truth that we see in Jesus. The incarnation means that it is only true if it is suffering love. It is only true if it is unarmed mercy. It is only true if it gets a proximity to the pain and serves there instead of sitting from afar and barking responses because we know what's right. It's speaking the truth in love and if it's not true, it's not loving and if it's not loving, guess what? It's not true because truth for Christians looks like Jesus. What is truth? What we see in Jesus. Welcome to the kingdom revolution. And so here we have the most powerful person in the world judging Jesus. But Jesus is the world's true king and judge. Do you get the irony of this passage? You start to see what's coming through. When we have resurrection eyes, we can see the kingdom revolution happening. And our definitions of truth, our definitions of righteousness, our definitions of holiness, all must bow a knee to the reality we see in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And the, read it like, here's the giveaway if you know it's true. We respond not in ways that judge others and make us feel better, but we're like, have mercy upon me. Work in me. It's the kind of prayers that curls over upon themselves and I have judged and I have not loved. I have judged and I have not loved. I have judged and I have not loved. And that is somebody encountering the Holy Spirit. But whenever we start to go, God, I thank you that I'm not like, fill in the blank. We are being moved by a spirit, regardless of how holy we think it might feel. We're being moved by a spirit that is not of God. And we need the gift of discernment in this day when people are trying to make us rally around battles that just aren't the hills worth dying on. You know the hills worth dying on? Calvary. The truth of unarmed love. 
the truth of suffering mercy, the truth of costly service, the truth of a love that looks like Jesus. And you're like, well, Jared, I've got these Bible verses. We all do. So did Satan in the desert. And the question is, do we let those Bible verses bow the name to the truth revealed in Jesus? Because if we have seen him, according to John's gospel, we've seen the Father. Is everybody feeling uncomfortable as I am? I think that is something of what we're being called into. This is our little unique blue planet. Unique in all the solar systems and universes that we have been able to stare into. A report came out in 2004 that said, since 1970, we have destroyed God's good creation by 30%. And it's happening at a rate which is not slowing down. Our unprecedented ecological crisis desperately needs the truth. Not yelled from a distance, but suffered with a proximity to pain that says, God has a good news. And it's revealed in Jesus. Our world governments last year spent over $1 trillion, and I'm rounding down by $34 billion. And you know you're dealing with large sums of money when you round down by $34 billion and act like it doesn't matter. Our world governments combined spent over $1 trillion on weapons solely designed to take human life. There is a new arms race that is starting because of the situation with North America and North Korea. This is accelerating. When our Lord says that this kingdom revolution is at hand, he means that it's close enough that we could reach out and touch it. It is actually right there. This is the amount of money we need, 26 times over we spent last year, to end absolute poverty. That's what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Marx would say, okay, well, if, you, if the proletariat, if they rise up against those in power, the bourgeoisie, and we overthrow, then we can make the kingdom ha happen. And it's like, nope, the kingdom only ever comes through a cross. And the spirit that has been poured out on Christ has been poured out on us, that we too might lay down our lives like he laid down his, and the spirit that filled his life and his ministry that raised him from the grave will fill us as if Jesus would live in our place, in our time, with our gifts and our talents. And that's the kind of imagination we're being invited into with this kingdom revolution. What is truth? Oh, Pilate, you missed it. It's standing right in front of you. Church, what is truth? Let's not miss it. It's standing right in front of us. Next slide. As we come to a close, I'm going to spell out the two most effective ways we learn to avoid the truth. And it's by saying the kingdom is not in this world. And there is fancy theological terms for it. A two-kingdom ethic is one of those terms. And this is what we do. We don't spend time with Gracie and listen to her wisdom, knowing that this world doesn't look like the way God longs it to be. And so, of course, God's kingdom is not from this world, but it is for this world. So instead, we say there's two categories. There's a spiritual category, and there's a physical category. And so spiritually, okay, at a meeting like this, I put my hand up, or I was uh, baptized, or I had an experience, or I went forward, and so I said, Jesus is Lord. And spiritually, Jesus is Lord. But, you know, 
Pilate knows what's going on in the real world. And we live in a fallen world. So at the end of the day, and as we click just one more, oh no, we've got it there, that the only crossover between spirituality and the real world is my attitudes, principles, and values. Because that's heaps safer. So Jesus can have my heart, but look, I've got to run a business. I can't run a business where I pay all my work as well. <laughs> what, what kind of world do you think we're living in? Well, the question is, what kind of world do you think Jesus is bringing? Because if Jesus is the truth, and the kingdom is not of this world, not from this world, but coming to this world and is in this world, well, then suddenly the way we do business, it should say Jesus is Lord. And we should help one another as a community to do that. And we're like, well, look, I just need to pay the bills, like my kids in schools, all the rest. Well, how do we help one another to make sure that you find work that actually reflects the glory of God instead of, you know, oppresses somebody else? Welcome to this kingdom revolution. See, the incarnation never ended. At Pentecost, Jesus continues in us. The Spirit is poured out on us. So one really effective way to ignore Jesus is that Jesus' commands are personal, and when it comes to the real world, well, you know, we've just got to get our job done. So JC, if he was an executioner in the 16th century, and uh, he was a Lutheran, and I was one of those pesky Anabaptists, the prototypes of the Pentecostals that we find in the 16th century. And his job as an executioner, well, if he has this two-kingdom ethic kind of take, his job is to chop off my head. But as a Christian, he makes sure he chops off his brother's head without hatred or vengeance in his heart. If that sounds ridiculous to anybody else, it's because it is. And that's where this term might be helpful, bifurcated salvation bifurcated salvation it means when we tear salvation in two so jesus died for me jesus went to the cross so i never have to take up mine <clears throat> wrong jesus went to the cross jesus died for us so we can die to our old self and the old world and actually live the good news that's coming to all of creation and let it be seen in us even if it means crucifixion Whoa, i don't like it it's just true I realise how hard it is, it's just true. And maybe you're not good with fancy theological terms, so there's an easy way to remember this two-kingdom eth ethic or this bifurcated salvation, and it's just by the initials. <laughs> this kind of approach that says, Jesus can have my heart and my attitudes, but Jesus doesn't get my whole life, just remember the initials. Next slide. Where we are going over the next weeks is actually to break down that there is two realities, but it's not spiritual versus physical. It's the world that is passing, the fallen world, and the world that is coming, the kingdom revolution. We are the anti-fall movement, church. That's what the church is. We are the anti-fall movement. The reason why we embody such a costly love has got nothing to do with us and everything to do with grace, that we can lay down our lives because Christ has laid down his life for us. And so this kind of love is seen in us in ways that make people ask, why? And so... The world that is passing away, our identity is in corporations, in brands, in nations, in positions, in titles, etc. But in the kingdom revolution, it's in Christ. See, in terms of ecology, our attitude is to extract, control, dominate. Well, it's all going to burn. What does it even matter? Jesus just cares for my soul. Rubbish. God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
If your gospel is just good news for your soul, you're dangerously close to the heresy of Gnosticism, which was one of the biggest threats to the early church that this whole gospel of John is written against. And you're like, well, Jared, when I came to Christ, it's what I heard preached the whole time. I'm sorry. Let us help you out with something that looks a little bit more like Jesus. You're like, oh, Jared, I'm not sure what I think about all this theology. It's like, you don't have to worry about what to think about all the theology. Learn how to love God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself, realizing that the stranger is your neighbor, realizing that your enemy is your neighbor. And when you start to love like that, you'll realize that your theology will fall into place and suddenly you start saying, God is love because I've encountered the Holy Spirit who revealed to me Christ, who shows me the picture of the Father. Guess what? You're doing great Trinitarian theology and you didn't even realize that's what you're stepping into because it's an experience before it is something we study. It is worship, doxology, what Brad is leading our young leaders in. It, it, it starts with worship and out of awe, out of wonder, out of worship. Then we start to put words and start to interact with church tradition and go, this is the beauty of orthodox Christianity and I want in. In terms of injustice, fight by any means necessary or just what, get what you can get. If you can benefit from injustice, awesome. If you can't, well, then you take up a sword and you try and fight versus the kingdom where we fight with the lamb's love. I'm talking about that kind of love your enemies kind of love, bless those who curse you kind of love, do good to those who persecute you kind of love, the kind of love that looks like how God has loved us even though we were enemies of God. Oh, my goodness, it's not much more difficult and love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And both are revealed in Jesus. And when it comes to issues of sexuality, it's either suppression or trans transgression. It's, it's either uh, just turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, or go for it. You know, we live in a fallen world, just go for it. Versus the kingdom where it's about the transfiguration. And guess what? Regardless of your orientation, all of us have work to do in terms of that transfiguration of the humanizing purposes of God where God's very nature and love starts to flood the places of human connection. But that's a longer topic for another day, but I want to give you a sense of where we're going as I close. Enemies, the fallen world, we kill them. Kingdom revolution, we bless them. Religion, God bless me and us. Religion in the kingdom, and you're like, oh, well, it's not a religion. Well, Depends how you use the term religion. James 1 talks about this is the kind of religion that God finds acceptable. To care for the orphan and the widow, the powerless, those that have been cut off. And you as a church, in two days, you cared for people who all support from the government has been switched off. You're housing people at First Home Project who the government are trying to force back to Nauru and Manus with the most unspeakable things and if there weren't young people in the room I'd actually name the horrible things that are happening and you as a people because of the kingdom revolution in two days you came up with money for the next three months these two young men who love the Lord and they're sorry they can't be here this morning but they will you will get to meet them these two young refugees they're being responded to with kingdom kind of love and it's a prophetic sign to our nation 
who has left these 1,200 uh, 1, people indefinitely imprisoned. And you're like, Jared, you're talking about politics. No, I'm talking about a kingdom revolution that's good news to all our global crisis. How is it that 400,000 Rohingya are facing ethnic cleansing at the moment? And what we're talking about is what box we're going to tick when we send some letter back instead of people who are dying, literally dying. In our church, we support a ministry in Myanmar. We are praying for these people in Myanmar. We're praying for the Karen people. The Karen people and the Rohingya people are running for their lives literally and we're talking about some box and us being better than them. What are we doing? Like, honestly, what are we doing? Like, where's our heart? Where's our heart for the kingdom? We need a fresh revelation of Jesus. We need the kind of revelation that would bring us to our knees like that sister that I saw that pastor who's like, God, I've judged and I've never loved. Pain? Well, we numb ourselves or we seek deliverance from false gods, be they alcohol or a success, meth or pornography, likes <laughs> on social media, and we try and numb ourselves versus the kind of pain of a lament that says, Holy be your name. Come and make your name holy. You've commanded us to ask you to make your name holy. So come and move, God, that your name will be holy in our world. Come and sanctify your name. Your kingdom come. Righteousness. We are righteous. They are evil. Versus a kingdom understanding where God alone is righteous. No one's done good. Not even one. Not even one. It is but by the grace of God any of us can. So all that's been kind of heavy, but I want to set up where we're going with this series. A bunch of you are like, I know where I'm not spending time for the next 10 weeks. I'll see you after that. <laughs> this series and what we're about to open up is to proclaim the cross through the resurrection that Christ might be revealed and we might respond with a kind of repentance where we realize that the kingdom of God is justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, to quote the Apostle Paul in the 14th chapter of Romans. So here's some beautiful stories of people that I've encountered that I want to share with you as over this series we will share and hear from people throughout history. But as we go to the next slide, here's some people from my journeys. This is uh, my sister Ada. This is a church that I preached at when I was in Albania. She was a successful banker who could move her family out of Albania. And 70% of Albanians, because the economy, want to move. And yet God called her to lay down her successful banking career right at the point where she was given an opportunity to get another promotion, where she would be at the top of the biggest bank in Albania. And instead, they prayed about it. She felt God was asking her to lay down her career. She did. And for three months, no job, no nothing, just waiting on God. And then God called her to start a ministry that ministers to children with Down syndrome in a culture where people literally lock their children in their houses because they're so ashamed that they have had a child who has Down syndrome. She is by herself and with her church, she is transforming what Albanians think of these children, that they're not a curse, that they're a blessing, that there are things for them to teach us. And if she had not spent time with I am the way, the truth and the life, but instead if she allowed, you know, Pilate to be the chaplain, because some of us with the kind of, well, the gospel is spiritual, we think Jesus blew his moment with Pilate. Jesus, you're hanging out with the most powerful guy 
in that part of the world? Why didn't you give him your business card? I mean, he would have been great in the movement. Like, why didn't you actually ask? And, and last night, as I was praying this, I, I came up with the kind of things that if Jesus had asked Pilate for, to do a consultancy with him, like, how do we really get this? You saw how my followers nicked off. I'm standing here. If they don't take Barabbas, I'm done for. So, Pilate, would you help me out? Would you just give me a few ideas of how we can really get this kingdom movement going? And I think Pilate would say something like, look, Jesus, we respect what you're trying to do, but if we all nonviolently love to the point of death, how would the church have influence in society? Like, if we all do that, how are we going to have influence? I think Pilate would have went on to say, after all, Jesus, we need to make sure history turns out right, you know, for um, the sovereign Lord. If you miss the irony of that, that we're going to make history turn out right for the sovereign Lord, you've, you've missed the joke. But this is the kind of advice that Pilate might give. Because what kind of church would it be if we weren't seeking to rule the world? I mean... You went to the cross so we don't have to, right? I mean, what would we do with all our time and resources if we weren't trying to influence the most powerful? What are we going to do? Hang out with those that you hung out with? Well, we all know that that might get us crucified, Jesus, and how is that going to be us living our best life? Too close to the bone? After all, we're convinced your talk of taking up your cross is a metaphor much like your talk of giving all that you have to the poor, unlike six-day creation, and that's clearly literal. That was a joke for the biblical scholars in the room. And as far as it, and far be it for us to judge, but it would be more helpful if you said more about the people that we really have a problem with. Like, we've combed the Gospels, Jesus, and we can't see you mention them once. That's really, really unhelpful. Don't you really know that this is where we're going to be spending our time? But you wasted all your airtime, Jesus, talking about good news for the poor, freedom for the captive, sight for the blind. Why didn't you talk about the stuff that the church cares about, Jesus? That thread was brought to you by Jared's sarcasm, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Next slide. This is Yegena, Emiliano, and Brickena and uh, Katia, and I could tell stories about all of them, but I'm aware of the time and we're about to land this. So I'm just going to talk about Ilda, and I'll leave the story about these church leaders and the incredible stuff that I saw them doing for another time. This is Ilda. Ilda I met when she was 15 years old. Ilda was at risk of being uh, put into a child marriage. So at 14, she started organizing in a small village to stop child marriages and successfully stopped the child marriage of herself and as the band comes up, and also the child marriage of a number of her friends. Ilda, from this situation of extreme poverty, she saw nuns in her little town ministering and serving, and she asked why. And the nuns did a Bible study about Jesus, and actually they opened up First John with her, and she learnt about this God who is love. And those who love know God. But those who do not love do not know God, for God is love. And Ilda gave her life to Christ and she was baptised out of her Muslim background. And she is 20 years old now. And she is about to go to South Sudan to step into a war zone to work with these nuns for two reasons. You talk to Ilda and she says, I want to share the Jesus that has liberated me, her words, 
I want to share the Jesus that liberated me. And I want to serve like Jesus has served me. Church, that's the kingdom revolution. Our final slide. This is the House of Leaves Centre, which once was the secret service torture chamber. The things that you can see on the wall there were instruments that were used to torture. The background over here is actually um, clothes and radios and bags where bugs were put so neighbours would spy and fear on their neighbour instead of love their neighbour. And I got to the end of this museum and there are TVs where you put on headphones and it was interviews with people who had been tortured under the communist regime. And there was this brother and he was asked what would you say when they were torturing you? And he said, I would tell them what Jesus taught us. Forgive your enemies, love your enemies, pray for your enemies. And it impacted me in such a way, church, that without any condemnation, without any guilt, I realized that I've barely started to participate in the kingdom revolution. I don't mean that in any kind of ways that I'm, I'm not downplaying what God has done in my life. I'm not downplaying the, the ways that God has shown up. I'm not taking away from that. But there is so much more for us. There is so much more for the kingdom revolution. And what it requires is a people who know that holiness is actually a hunger for God's kingdom and God's healing justice and God's mercy to be merciful as God is merciful. And it's my hope in this Kingdom Revolution series that you'll hear the word mercy and there will be a neurological pathway that you can't help but just become emotive because you realize this is how God is related to us. That you want to raise your hands in the air or drop your knees to the ground because you realize mercy is the revolution and that our deepest selves is the mercy that mirrors who God truly is. So this morning, maybe you haven't been in church for quite some time and maybe it's because you haven't been shown mercy or for some of us, maybe we've been in church and we've been the people who have forgotten our first love and because of that have chosen religion over a kingdom revolution and we have stopped showing mercy. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church and you've never heard that truth is this unarmed, suffering love who gives himself for us, taking on our sins, that we might live out of the mercy who we're made in the image of. And if that's you this morning, I've just asked if people would close their eyes and bow their heads so people just have a moment of privacy. But if that's you this morning, there's going to be no emotional request. There's no going to, you're not going to be asked to stand up or there's no spotlight or anything, but... If this has struck you in such a way where you too realize that you want more of God's mercy and that Jesus has taken on all the things that you think keep you from God so that a relationship with God can open up. If you're here this morning and you want to take part in this kingdom revolution of mercy, I just ask now in the quietness and the kindness of this moment that you put up your hand so I know who I'm praying for. That's a beautiful thing. Praise God. That's wonderful. That's a beautiful thing. Praise God. 
church. Let us pray together. Thank you, those that raised their hand. Lord, I thank you for those who have taken a first step today. Jesus, anything that wasn't of you, may it fade away, and maybe that which is of your kingdom, may it come to the forefront. Those of us who are resistant because of things in our lives that don't look like you, would you break them in such ways that we would cry out in repentance, I have judged and I haven't loved. I have judged and I haven't loved. And for those this morning, Lord, who have put up their hand and said, I don't want to judge, (laughs) I want to receive God's love, would you meet them as we journey with them towards what it is to get in and be immersed in your kingdom revolution? Would you meet them in this time now? Church, let's pray together and confess before we come round to the table. Most merciful God, and we mean that, Lord, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. Lord, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor or the stranger or our enemies as you have loved us. Lord, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, we humbly repent. Come and do a work in us, we pray, that we might not only receive your pardon, but receive your empowerment that we might walk in your will and delight in your ways to the glory of your name. Jesus, we want this in us. Bring a kingdom revolution, we pray. And all God's people said.